Uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then we will start. Our dear Father in heaven, we're so very grateful for your grace and your goodness that you bestow upon us. Our Father, may we never take for granted the rich blessings that we have physically, but more importantly, spiritually. Our Father, we're thankful for the Willow Avenue Church of Christ. We're thankful for our good and sound elders. We pray that you will bless them and give them wisdom and strength to do what is right. Be with each of us as we go through daily struggles and pains and losses in this life. May we keep our focus to glorify you and to reach the lost and dying world around us. Please go with us through our class tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Okay, we are up. Before we get started, I was asked to make this announcement, and that is Friday is supposed to be the 12 hours of prayer. It is the 12 hours of prayer, but we haven't gotten many prayer requests at all. And so if we're going to have people that are praying an hour at a time, we need some more prayer requests. And we've also got slots still available for people to pray. So if you will go out in the foyer, there is a stack where you can fill out prayer requests, and you also can sign up to take an hour to pray. So if you will do that, um, if you've got questions about it or you're confused, uh, ask me when we get in the foyer afterwards or one of the elders and somebody can help you with that. But we do need to do, to do some more on that because that's two days away. So please keep that in mind. Okay, we are in uh, Acts chapter 15. Let me give you a very quick review and then we will uh, get up to speed. After the first missionary journey, and this is the missionary journey that's outlined on this map, Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch, and you can see, let me see if I can do that here. Can you see? Oh, that didn't work like that. Let's go back uh, there, okay? All right, there we go. Here is Antioch. They go back to Antioch, which is their home church, their home base, and they get there, and they start telling about all the conversions of the Gentiles, and some of the Jewish Christians get upset. They start saying, well, they've got to be circumcised. It causes a huge blow up. And so what happens is they go down to Jerusalem, which uh, on this map is just off the screen here, but they're going to go down to Jerusalem. They meet with the apostles and the elders. They have what we call the Jerusalem Council. And the decision is made that... The decision is made from the Holy Spirit, but the apostles and the elders endorse this, that the Gentiles do not have to be circumcised. Why? Because Colossians 2.14 says the old law was nailed to the cross. And this is a very important thing that is emphasized. They did not have to do this. Now, the decision was made that they would emphasize three things to the Gentiles, not that these are new, but they were going to emphasize these. Number one, to abstain from things polluted by idols, avoid sexual immorality, and from things strangled in blood. All of these seem to be tied to idolatry. Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch, and they share this news. There is great rejoicing. Paul and Barnabas stay there for a period of time, and then they decide they should go back and visit all of these congregations that they went to on the first missionary journey which tells us you can't just baptize someone and let them go. Further teaching needs to take place, further encouragement, and sometimes that's a problem in the church. We baptize people and we let them go, and they don't take root, and they end up falling away. So we're going to pick up tonight in Acts 15 and verse 36. 
Uh, do I have a reader or am I? All right, we've got a reader tonight, but the saints are going to read for us here. So pick up in verse uh, Acts 15, 36, please. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Okay, just what we said, we're going to go back and teach these people again. They had this discussion between them. Verse 37. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the, to the work. Okay, this is where we left off two weeks ago. Barnabas has determined that, he should that they should take John Mark when they go back. Now, you remember the history of this. If you go back to Perga, this is on the first missionary journey. I've got it circled here in yellow. John Mark was with them, and when they got to Perga, John Mark decided, I'm going to turn and go back to Jerusalem. We don't know why. Uh, history says this was a rough area. There was a lot of crime. It was dangerous. And that might be the reason. Whatever the reason, the Holy Spirit didn't see fit to record it, but John Mark leaves. And the rest of the journey they make on their own. So early on, I mean a quarter of the way, a third of the way into the journey, John Mark turns back. So they get ready to do the second journey, and Barnabas says, remember that he and um, John Mark are related. Barnabas says, we should take John Mark with us again this time. And Paul says, no, no way. Now, the way this is written, the tense in the original language carries with it the idea that um, Barnabas was insisting on this. He kept insisting on this, and it's written that Paul was doing the same, but on the opposite side of it. Now, we don't know the reason, but Barnabas had a strong opinion one way, Paul had a strong opinion the other way, all right? Verse 39. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Okay, I want to draw some lessons out of this because there are some very practical things here. It says that they had a sharp contention between Paul and Barnabas. What does that mean? They had a sharp contention. They are arguing, not just arguing, but this is heated argument between Paul and Barnabas. Here's the question. Did they sin? Was that wrong to have a sharp contention between them? Okay, Not necessarily. I mean, it could be. Uh, here's my next question. and Just hold that thought. We'll come back to it. But here's the next question. Who was right? Was it Paul or was it Barnabas? Either one or both of them? That's a very uh, political answer there. <laughs> so, um, both of them, also a good political answer. No one's going to take a side tonight, huh? Um, I was reading some commentators about this. Let me read you what one commentator said. He said, Paul had fought and won one of history's most crucial battles over the Gentile converts. He was not able, however, to apply the same truth to his relationship with John Mark. So what he's saying is Paul had just won this great battle, and it seems to be that he's faulting uh, Paul here. So it seems like he's saying, well, Paul was in the wrong here. So he's taking a side. Another said, on the other hand, the church in Antioch commended Paul and Silas, 
but nothing is said about a commendation for Barnabas and Mark. So another commentator said, the church says, or the Bible says that the church in Antioch commended Paul and Silas as if Paul and Silas are being said to be right. Nothing is said about it. So they're taking the other side. So you've got two commentators taking either side. One person that I read said, Paul seems to be working on the basis of logic, and Barnabas seems to be working on the basis of the heart. What do you think about that statement? Yeah, I, I kind of agreed with that statement, that he's looking at it from a logical standpoint, saying we're not going to make that mistake again. We invested a lot in him, but Barnabas, what is his nickname? What do we call him? The son of encouragement. He's always that guy. He has his heart in this, and he's a relative. We can't uh, forget that. Now, here's the next question. Can we disagree with each other without sinning? Yes. Can you have a sharp contention without sinning? Yes. All right. I want to draw some practical lessons from this before we move on from it. Justin? Well, that was one of my lessons. <laughs> so, um, but I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, but hold on to it for just a second. Um, draw some lessons from this. Number one, we have to understand that my judgment is not always the only way. We have to understand that we can allow for differences. I'm not talking doctrinal, but we have to allow for differences on how to do things. Elderships sometimes approach things differently. You've got a congregation here, another congregation across town. They decide to do things differently. That's all right, as long as it's not doctrinal. Sometimes within an eldership, you might have two elders, or you might have, we have six elders. What happens if some of the elders have a view about one thing and the other elders have a different view? I've been an elder and that happens. And sometimes you have heated discussions about that. Is that wrong? Not wrong, as long as you don't sin. So we have to understand in areas of judgment there can be disagreements. You can do things two different ways and either one be right. Here's the second thing. Sometimes people are wanting to know which way God wants you to do something, and it could be that either way is right. Now, what I mean by that is sometimes I have heard preachers or I've heard Christians say, well, I'm just praying that God will show me the right way or show me which way to go, and it could be either way is right. I think that God expects us to use our judgment, He expects us to apply the Scriptures, and then we go and do what's right. I think Paul could have been right in this, and Barnabas could have been right. Neither side was going to be condemned by God as wrong. That is, they made a decision based on their judgment, and they went forward, and it was going to be an okay thing to do. Um, I guess what I'm saying is I agree. Uh, who was wrong? Neither one of them were wrong about this. Either side, when it comes to matters of judgment, either side could be right. Here's the third thing. It's not wrong to disagree and even to have sharp disagreements, and we can do that without sin. Here's the danger. When you get sharp disagreements, 
what sometimes happens. What's that? You could. It could get that far. Um, but at the moment, uh, the grudge would come later, of course, but at the moment when you have a sharp disagreement, what sometimes happens? You lose control. You get angry. What happens when you get angry? You might say something you can't take back. What was that? You're going to have a slip of the tongue, something that's going to... And what happens sometimes when one person gets angry and says something? Have you ever had the experience where one person says something, oh, and the anger kind of... When you hear it, the anger just flares in you at the moment that they say it. You ever had that? What do you do next? It kind of escalates sometimes. Someone will say something, and you weren't even that upset, but they just say the right thing that just triggers you. And then you respond. That's why the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. But that harsh response can cause a flare to take place. That's why Justin brought up Ephesians 4.26. What does it say now? Okay, be angry and sin not. You can be angry without sinning. It's not a sin to be angry is the point. But anger can certainly lead to sin. Listen to the rest of the verse. Be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. That gets to the part about a grudge. Don't harbor this thing and let your anger just boil up inside of you. Take care of it. And then he says, now listen to this. This is the very important part. Be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now listen, neither give place to the devil. What does that mean? When you get angry and you've got this boiling up inside of you, it's going to give the devil opportunity to take advantage of you because you've got this anger, you've got this malice, you've got this grudge, you start having heart problems towards someone, it might make you say, well, I'm leaving the church, or I'm going to take this revenge on somebody, or I'm going to whatever. You're giving opportunity to the devil because of this experience that's taking place in your heart. There's a lot of good lessons in this. Now, did that happen with Paul and Barnabas? They got angry. Did they sin? Bible does not say. Uh, is it possible to get angry? And both sides have a legitimate point. Either side could be right, but you get angry and you start going back and forth with each other and you end up sinning. And the two views weren't sinful. You could have done it either way and it would have been fine, but you end up sinning just because you get angry. That happens all the time in the church. I'm telling you, churches split sometimes, not because of doctrinal things, but because two sides have a judgment about some issue and they get angry with each other and they end up sinning and they have a split and they say it's doctrinal and it's really not. You've got two opinions and they, uh, they give place to the devil. Sometimes churches need to split if it's a doctrinal issue and you can't settle it, but all too often, that's not what it is. Um, Toby, did you have a comment? Uh huh. 
That's right. Uh, righteous anger, righteous indignation. It's interesting, in Exodus 32, Moses comes down from the mountain and he sees the, uh, the golden calf. He's got the Ten Commandments, the tablets. What did he do? He threw them down and broke them. He was angry. Well, then God is angry, and he says, let me wipe them out, and I'll make a new nation of you. And the Lord and Moses makes a plea to God then. Um, God could have practiced his anger and wiped them out, but Moses pleads with him, which, which shows, a different topic for a different day, but that um, the prayers of the righteous avail much. We can influence God by our prayers. So, yes, sir. Uh-huh. You guys are going to take all my points tonight, so. Um, but that's all right. Houston's making a good point. I like for people to talk, and that's good. And obviously, you're bringing out something brilliant, because I was about to say it anyway. So um, I'm kidding. But, but that's right. Here's the next thing. And it comes from verse 40. So let's go ahead and uh, read that, David. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Okay. Paul went ahead and chose Silas, and he departed. And what happened? They ended up having two groups, two missionary journeys. So um, Barnabas, he goes ahead and takes John Mark, and they go their way. And then the Holy Spirit traces the journey of Paul. He chooses Silas. Silas had come from, from Jerusalem with them back to Antioch, and so they get to know each other. They've traveled together, and he says, you come with me. And so Silas ends up being the character from chapter 16 forward, and we don't know much about what happens with Barnabas. In fact, we don't know if Barnabas and Paul ever see each other again. They depart. There's some, there may be some com communication there, but um, they, it's never recorded that they ever see each other again. So you've got two missionary journeys. Now, that brought this to my thinking. Oh, I, did, I had that verse on a slide, and I forgot I put that on there. Sometimes when you do your slides way in advance, you forget that you got it, but Ephesians 4.26, um, Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I think this is a badly abused verse. My opinion, my understanding of what this verse means is that God, through his providence, no matter what happens, God can use it for good and to accomplish his purpose. It doesn't mean that everything that happens is good. It doesn't mean that God makes everything happen. I think what it means is, in spite of what happens, in spite of what we do, God can still use it for good. I think about Acts chapter 8, when Saul started persecuting the church and it caused them to scatter from Jerusalem, what happened? They went everywhere and started preaching the word, and they set up congregations everywhere. So you had someone persecuting the church, and the Lord used that for the good of the church. You have, think about how Judas betrayed... I tell you what, Siri just pipes in at the most awkward moment. i got to turn that off. But uh, what you have is, um, she totally made me lose train of, my train of thought there. What was I talking about? Oh, and the betrayal of, of Jesus. You've got Judas, who betrays Jesus. Did that thwart God's plan? It didn't thwart God's plan. What happened is the Lord just incorporated that into the plan. As a matter of fact, he prophesied it in advance. 
This is what was going to happen. Think about this issue. What happened is you had a sharp disagreement between two brethren. What ends up happening? You've got two missionary journeys that take place. All things work together for good. God in his providence, despite what we do, he can work it out for good. Uh, let's see. Um, read verse uh, 40 and 41 together, if you don't mind. I know you just read 40, but read that again with 41. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And when he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Okay, Paul chose who? Okay, he's going to choose Silas. He's going to travel. It says, uh, for the grace of God, he went through Syria and Cilicia, uh, strengthening the churches. When we go back to the map here, uh, let's see here. Oh, I wanted to mention this, too, in passing. Um, when you get to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, you see what this verse says? Paul writes and says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. Years later, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, um, Get Mark. Bring him. I need him. He is useful. The word... Useful here in the Greek means profitable. He's profitable to the work that I'm doing. Who is this guy he's talking about? Get Mark and bring him with you. It's the same one. Now, in light of that, I want you to think about this. Years later, at this point, Barnabas says, let's take uh, John Mark with us. And Paul said, absolutely not. I'm putting my foot down. It got so sharp, they had a rift between them. Years later, you see Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, bring John Mark. He's useful. I, I, I can use him for the ministry. What do you draw from that? Yeah, it looks like there's been some changes, some maturity. In light of this, let me ask the question, who was right when it came to Paul and Barnabas? <laughs> yeah, um, who was right at the time? I, don't think, I still don't think you can say either one was right because they operated on what they knew at the time. Neither judgment would have been right or wrong. It was a judgment call. But it looks like when it came down to the character of uh, John Mark, it looks like Barnabas did a good thing because what we find out is for whatever reason, John Mark turned around, maybe it was cowardice, maybe he just wasn't committed. Whatever it was, we know that Paul didn't like it but we know that Mark turns out to be useful and faithful to the point that Paul says, bring that guy. He is, he is profitable. I would like to have him here working with me. It also shows that there was not a rift between these brethren. It also shows that Paul didn't hold a grudge. He didn't say, well, I don't believe that. What he said is, this guy's being faithful. Let's work together. There's a lot of practical lessons that we can learn from that. As it turns out, it appears Barnabas was right. Maybe Barnabas saw something in John Mark that other people just didn't see. And you've got to appreciate the person who will do that. Other people might say, ah, that guy, you know, he's proven us wrong. And um, some people are more skeptical. They're more apt to do that. You maybe say that's logic. Someone else maybe is more um, tugged by the heart. But in this case, 
Barnabas said, let's give him a chance, and it proved to be good. All right. That's true. You know, it could, even, it could have even been that um, when uh, Barnabas goes back to John Mark and says, will you go on this trip with me, do you think he explained what happened between him and Paul? Think he told him about that? I suspect he probably did because uh, there's going to be a lot of questions with Mark. Why are you not going with Paul? You've been traveling with Paul. Why are you going to? I think he probably had to explain that there was this sharp contention. Maybe that even strengthened John Mark. Maybe he even said, I'm going to stick this one out. I'm going to do it. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a personal story. When um, Sherry and I started college, we had been there for a year, and we decided that we wanted to get married. We were going to drop out of college. And so my father-in-law was upset. He said, if you drop out of college, you will never finish. He said, I did that, and I didn't finish. And I said, I will finish. And he said, I know how these things go. You won't. Well, I went to school part-time. I went on my lunch break. I went at night. I took classes online. We moved. I'd start another college. It took me 11 years to get my uh, degree, but I finally finished. And I went back to my father-in-law and I said, do you remember when you said that if we dropped out, I would never finish? And he said, no, I don't remember that. <laughs> and um, he didn't, but I remembered it. And I thought about John Mark here because I think sometimes people will say something and it just gives you some determination to do it. I don't know what was driving him. The Bible doesn't give us the insight into all of these things, but... Uh, it makes us wonder because we know how human nature is, and the nature of people just doesn't change. All right, uh, verse 41 says, they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. It's interesting because we don't know how the churches got there in Cilicia. Um, they weren't established on the first missionary journey. If you look at the map here, let me see if, if I can zoom in here, and uh, here is Cilicia. There are churches there. What do you see? What city is in Cilicia? Tarsus, Paul's home city. Do you remember there's a silent period where Paul disappeared before he actually started his work as an apostle and he went back to Tarsus? My guess would be that's where the churches came from, that Paul was planting and teaching while he was there. But the Bible just doesn't tell us. So that's interesting. All right. Now we start chapter 16. This is a rich, great chapter. So let's begin in verse number 1, please, Brother David. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there, named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. Okay, they start the missionary journey, and it says that they come to Derbe and Lystra, and if we zoom in on the map here, oh, threw us in the ocean there. Here we go. Derby and Lystra, it says that there was a certain disciple, he's already a Christian, his name is Timothy, he's the son of a Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. It says a Jewish woman who believed, so she was a Jew, she became a Christian, 
and his father was a Greek. It seems to indicate that the mother was a Christian and the father wasn't. And the fact that it says his father was a Greek, it's written in the past tense, most people believe that means that his dad was um, a Gentile, but he had passed away at this point. Uh, that also seems to fit with what we're told later on. Uh, who raised him? Do you remember? His mother and his grandmother are responsible for his faith. So it seems that at some point when he was young, his, his father must have passed away. We're not told. We're just kind of guessing these things. Um, but he was raised by his mother and his grandmother. This is the first time that we meet Timothy in the Bible. Um, of course, there are two letters written to him, First and Second Timothy. Uh, verse number 2, let's read about Timothy. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Keep going. Paul wanted to have him going with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. Okay, this is interesting. He meets, uh, he meets up with Timothy. It seems that he might have converted him on the first missionary journey because he refers to him as his son in the faith, and so maybe he taught him. But he comes back through. Timothy is one who is faithful. The brethren speak well of him. And so he's going to take him with them. He's going to say, come with us on this journey. And Paul says, we need to circumcise you. He had not been circumcised because his daddy was a Gentile. Now that's interesting. You can read into this what you want, but it seems, though his mother was a Jew, his dad was a Gentile, and he said, we're not circumcising him. And so he wasn't circumcised. Though he had been raised up, learning the ways of the law of Moses, he obeys the gospel, he's a Christian, he's still never been circumcised. Now, as a Christian, does he need to be circumcised? Okay. Does everybody in here know what it means to be circumcised? Okay. If you don't, look it up when you get home. I'll, I won't tell you about it, but um, you need to understand that he has never been circumcised. Now, at this point, Paul says, before you come with us on this journey, you need to be circumcised. That seems extremely strange in light of what we just studied. Because they get back, they go to Antioch, some of the Jews said, all oh, the Gentiles need to be circumcised, and they have a knockdown, dragout fight about this. They go to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit says they do not have to be circumcised, they do not have to keep the law of Moses, they go back and they tell this in Antioch, you do not have to be circumcised. They start the second missionary journey, and they come to Derby and Lystra. They meet up with Timothy. They said, please come with us, but we need to circumcise you. Does that not strike you as odd? What is that about? Okay. The Jews are struggling, and Paul says, you're going to come with us, he said, but people know that your dad was a Greek. People are going to know that you weren't circumcised. As the dad being a Greek, he would have been the head of the family. They're going to assume you aren't circumcised. And this was just a matter of um, expediency. That's the word I'm looking for. It's a matter of expediency. What he was saying is, everywhere we go, Jews are still struggling with this. I don't want this to be the issue that we have to struggle with every time we go to a new place. We're trying to teach the gospel to people, 
and they're immediately going to jump on this and say, hey, that guy was not circumcised. We can't even teach these people because we're arguing about this. Paul said, as a matter of expediency, let's just do this and move on. Were they wrong to do that? No. They weren't doing it because it was commanded. And what's very interesting, I know the bell is about to ring, but I want you to look at this. This is Galatians chapter 2. A second young preacher in the Bible is named Titus. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul says, Then after 14 years I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brethren secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery. That is, they're trying to bind the old law. He says, to them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved in you. He said, when I took Timothy, I circumcised him. When I took Titus, I did not circumcise him. What's that about? Why did he not circumcise Titus? He says, this is a matter of principle. Now, it was a decision that was a matter of expediency with um, uh, Timothy because he said, we don't want this to be a stumbling block everywhere we go. With Titus, he said some of the brethren were trying to bind it. They were trying to say, you have to be circumcised, and Paul took a stand. He said, we don't want this to be something that looks like we're capitulating, that we're going along with it as a matter of doctrine we're going to say we will not circumcise Titus. Can you see the difference in the two? It's not that he's binding it. Both of these are matters of judgment. I think it's very interesting the way this is paired. You've got uh, Barnabas and Paul. They're split on a matter of judgment. Either way would have been okay. They just had to look at the circumstances and decide. Then immediately you've got this situation. In one case, they circumcised Timothy. Another case, they didn't circumcise Titus. Why? They had to look at the circumstance, and they had to make a decision. All through the book of Acts in the New Testament, we're given examples of brethren having to look at circumstances and make decisions that would not necessarily be right or wrong. What if Paul had decided, we are not going to circumcise Timothy? We don't want people thinking that we're going to go along with that. We're not going to do it. Would he have been wrong for that? No. He wouldn't have been wrong for it. He would have probably been less effective. I would agree with that. Now, what if Silas had gotten upset with Paul about this and said, we need to circumcise him. If you don't circumcise him, I'm going to go somewhere else. Could that have happened? It wouldn't have been that different from Barnabas, would it? But it was a matter of judgment. So anyway, there's a lot of very practical things here. We will pick up at the beginning of chapter 16 next week, but I appreciate all the interaction tonight. Thanks.